0: Have you played football for Eric Ten Hag or Steve McLaren? Have you played in the Era Divisie? Have you been to Amsterdam for a party weekend? Or have you just worn orange once? Then you could qualify to play for Manchester United as part of their exciting new transfer policy. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. We're a little bit more restrictive here at Betfair Towers. We only hire the best tipsters and analysts. Marco Hare fits snugly into that category. Mark Manchester United well beaten by Brighton last weekend. Their transfer policy included a bid for burly maverick Marco Onatovic this week largely based on the fact that he played for Steve McLaren and Eric Ten Hag about 16 million years ago. Um, we knew this was going to be a long-term project under Eric Ten Hag. but they seem to be panicking already.
1: Yeah, um, I think we all, not just United fans, but neutrals, were, we're quite looking forward to, to the weekend's game against Brighton just to see what's changed. And the noises coming out of Old Trafford were largely positive through the summer, players enjoying Ten Hag's training methods and, and preseason was generally fairly decent. I guess the only cloud was the Ronaldo transfer speculation, which was continuing to rumble on, and then the ridiculous pursuit of Frankie de Jong as well, which never seemed to sort of gain any traction either. But I think there was an air of excitement around for, for match day one, as there always is. And look, you, you put the caveat in there that we know that Ten Hag needs time, needs patience. Um, because he can't change everything overnight or in a summer either. And I don't think we are expecting to see United turn into a, a new sort of Man City or Liverpool uh, just in the space of a couple of months. But, but uh, what did change? Well, we saw Eriksen playing a false nine, which was a bit strange. And then I guess... A really false nine. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very odd. And then the, the really alarming, I guess, element for me was just the the whole performance, which was, it was like nothing had changed over the last year or two, really. And they were booed off at half-time, booed off at full-time. And just beaten by the smarter side and we spoke last week about Brighton being a team run in a smart and savvy way they know exactly what they're doing and where they're going and how they're going to get there and those pathways just don't exist at man united Um, and that's just being compounded by the transfer circulation that you've talked about in the past week and i I think it's 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 absolutely criminal that they started the season with tom and and fred in midfield without a top class replacement or replacements Uh, it's just going to be an area that they continue to struggle in unless they look to do some work in, in that area of the pitch but it seems so strange because it's, it's been talked about elsewhere but the fact that they go out every summer now and seem to spend a fortune on a new centre-back and they're absolutely stacked in that position I don't understand why they're not doing anything about the midfield or if their the number one target was De Jong, why haven't they got a list of alternatives which isn't Adrian Rameo it's, it's bizarre really and look um You know, the options up front are dwindling as well. Ronaldo had to come off the bench, and I know that's not a position he or Ten Hag really wants. Ronaldo wanting out, Ten Hag not necessarily wanting to use him. And I saw someone say on Twitter actually that, you know, put any sort of Joe Bloggs who's played football manager over the last five years in charge of transfers at United, and they would quite conceivably put together a more impressive or, or an accurate bunch of transfer targets. At United's disposal for their budget and, and results would be, would be dramatically different to what they're they're sort of throwing up at the minute with on and and co. So it's very very peculiar and, and very unfortunately for Ten Hag as well. Um, you know he's already been the subject of all these kind of negative means and memes and uh, he's facing an uphill task already. Some of it's his own making, of course, but a lot of it isn't really. And I just hope he gets given the support because it's another difficult test this weekend against Brentford, another smart club, smart operators very well coached club and at the minute United are none of those
0: now if somebody combined Carol Vorderman and Rachel Riley you'd have something approaching the level of the maths genius that is tipster and trader Mark Stinchcombe Stinch we were very pro Brighton on here last week turns out we were right.
2: Yeah, we were on at a good price as well because United drifted considerably before kick-off and looking at their odds this weekend, I couldn't be backing them at odds on at all. Um, the only thing really holding me back on Brentford is the, the loss of the aforementioned Eriksson. So I suppose you could call it the Christian Eriksson derby in, in some respects. Um, but very, very pleased with the signing of uh, Damsgaard from Sampdoria. Um, I think if he plays, it's quite... I would, uh, I'd happily take um, Brentford plus a half, basically, and, and lay Man United again if if Damgaard starts because I just think he could basically be Eriksen's replacement and link link the midfield with the attack. Um, I think he's a, a fantastic footballer and the sort of player Man United should probably be signing themselves or you know that kind of analytical approach. Um, this you know, is the are... weird
0: thing, though, Stinch, isn't it? Because we all watch a lot of European football. We've covered various leagues for a long time. And you look at data guys, all kinds of analysts, and they look at somebody like Ibrahim Sungare, for example, at PSV, who's a very good defensive midfielder largely. And you thought, well, that's perfect for what United need. And they haven't gone for him. He's just signed a new deal at PSV. It surely wouldn't have been that hard to lever him out of there. I mean, that's just one example, but. There are players being snapped up by other clubs that could do a far better job for United than some of the guys they've already got, and yet they just don't go for them.
2: Yeah somebody like maybe uh Fabian Ruiz would be perhaps a good central midfielder yeah. for them. Um I kind of feel like you know um uh, a metronome thinking back into the days when the uh, the sort of 4-2-3-1 was first kind of being used um I remember it under Rafa Benitez at Liverpool he had Mascherano and Alonso he had Mascherano to break up and then Alonso to break the lines essentially and I feel like that's somebody that they they definitely need in that area As kind of Mark kind of touched upon um spoke quite a lot actually about how I thought United would perform worse at home um because I think they struggle under the pressure but <laughs> and if you look at their away games they've actually lost the last six away games um in a row and they've been behind at half time in all of them so I couldn't put anyone off maybe taking a, a bigger price, sort of six to one, about Brentford winning at halftime and full time if you wanted to go down that route as well. No, he's been trying to get the XG robots to make sense of it
0: all. Jake Olskathorpe from Infigol is with us. Brighton seemed to step ahead of United's all the way through. And in a way, Jake, we shouldn't be surprised about that because they've got a great coach in Graham Potter. That group has largely been together for quite a long time now. Everybody knows what they're going to do. Everybody knows what's asked of them. So that kind of gap in performance isn't a major surprise.
3: No, not really. And I think I mentioned it last week that Brighton, based on the underlying numbers, performed better last season than Manchester United did, even though they finished a couple of places below. Um, So from a pure data standpoint, Brighton are a better team than Manchester United. In this current current guys, and obviously we know that they're much, 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 much better run football club um, off the pitch than Manchester United, which does count for a lot in this day and age because you know no longer is the manager in sole power of those kind of things because the smartly run clubs understand that if a manager sacked, then the new manager comes in and he's got the old manager's players to work with. And there's no sort of continuity, and we've seen with Bright with Brentford in particular um, that there's a continuity plan in place if managers move on. There's another guy that can step in, and, and nothing really changes from the style of play to um, general tactics, um, etc. Uh, and I expect that to be the case at Brighton if, if and when Graham Potter moves on, they'll have a ready, ready-made replacement that can step in and just just keep the bandwagon rolling. Whereas United, I mean, Ten Hag's overseeing a squad that's got two, three managers worth of different players that all want to play in different styles and systems, and it's just an absolute just chaos at the
0: moment. But they haven't learned, have they? Because we've talked about this uh, for a a few times. A really well-run club, like you just say, it's kind of with the manager, but kind of independent of the manager. Because what you want is a situation where if that manager leaves, gets sacked because it went wrong for a bit or whatever, the general direction of travel is still the same. The general style is what you're trying to fit players to. All the things we've talked about, Van Gaal had his players, Mourinho had his players... Basically, Ten Hag is getting his players, guys he's worked with or guys he knows from Dutch football. So if in a year they go, well, this is terrible, we're 14th, we're going to have to boot him. Again, they're starting in exactly the same place where they were.
3: Yeah, yeah. That that just highlights again just how poorly run the football club is and has been since um, Sir Alex Ferguson left the club because I think... One of the keys that maybe people don't really remember is that not only did they lose Ferguson in um, in that summer, but they also lost David Gill, who was overseeing the overall ship at Manchester United. And um, you know, you did say "ship" there, didn't you? I did say "ship." Yes, (laughs) I do not swear. Um, Yeah, and and arguably, you know, that's it's on United. They they should have either tried to convince one or or both of them to stay on for another year for a succession planning. Um, You know, Ferguson wanted to retire. Then David Gill should have almost been told to to sort of oversee the transition period and make sure that things go smoothly. But just ripping it up and starting afresh at both counts um, hasn't worked. And, you know, in hindsight, it was never going to work. So, yeah, they're they're in a bit of a pickle and and I'm I'm with the guys. I I think that Brentford's price, sorry, United's price is too short um, this weekend and it it has shortened slightly as well. Brentford at home last season, I know a lot of the talk is around Ericsson, but even pre-Ericsson, they were performing at really, really good levels from an underlying data standpoint. Um, And overall, across the season, um, ranked as the seventh best home team in the league based on expected goals. So the average 1.6 expected goals for, 1.08 expected goals against. I mean, that is a a really, really strong process. And, And if they continue to sort of hit those kind of levels, then again, you're looking at a team that are outperforming Manchester United from a data standpoint. And Stinch has mentioned that the away struggles of United in recent, um, was it lost the last six? The data in those six defeats was absolutely horrendous. I know there's some big teams in there. They went to obviously City um, uh, as one of them. But yeah, they, they just look completely bereft of ideas. And I think I said it on the uh, on the pre-season podcast that while ever you've got McFred in midfield, you aren't going to succeed. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And, ultimately- and they seem to be
0: in the, totally the wrong positions last weekend because you had McTominay quite advanced. You had poor old Fred as the kind of deepest midfielder. And every time he got the ball, Brighton swarmed him because they know that sometimes he got touched like a trampoline. So it's a really strange, it was a really strange setup, that whole thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, you said there that they're in wrong positions. Their position should be the bench. They should be nowhere near <laughs> the first team. Um, they aren't good enough to operate at the level that Manchester United require. Um, and I guess, you know, how long is it until Ten Hag Glitchy just says, right, we're going to throw some youth players in the mix because there's every chance that they perform better and we'll be able to adapt to a system better than those guys. Um, you know, for someone who wants to progress the ball quickly through the lines and sort of dominate possession, play player like McTominay is just not what you need because he doesn't advance the ball well enough at all. Um, he can't trust him to pick the ball up on the half turn someone like De Jong you watch him like he can pick the ball up on a half turn he can beat two men and you're up the field whereas McTominay he's taking lumbering touches and ends up going backwards and putting the defence under more pressure so yeah it, you know we, we're probably going to have more conversations like this aren't we over the next three four weeks maybe two three years you never know um, but it, it, there's, a, there's a lot that needs to change and as we've said, the sort of transfer business that they're looking at doing or they're linked with is just a, it makes the club look like a laughing stock, really. Because yeah. as you said, everyone anyone who's anyone who works with data or um, you know just, just follows other leagues across across Europe knows that there are better players out there for probably a cheaper price than what they're looking at paying for the likes of Adrian Rabio. So um, yeah, it, it, it's a big mess uh, and all, all, on, all on the Brentford train this weekend.
0: Well, this football season, you can get a helping hand with Betfair's popular Bet Builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. It was a dreadful start for Aston Villa and Stephen Gerrard as they lost at Bournemouth in their opener, ruining our podcast treble in the process. Well, Frank Lampard's Everton lost to Chelsea. Mark, we couldn't fit Gerrard and Lampard into the same England team. They can't both win this weekend. Who's going to take the three points?
1: um i'd happily sort of steer away from those markets um massive game for both uh, both managers too um i'm happy to sort of try and oppose goals in this one um because Gerard said himself that they were miles off it against bournemouth um dominated the ball 66 percent of possession had 15 shots but only two on target and an xg output of around 0.66 basically failed to create any meaningful opportunities Conceded early, conceded late, both from set pieces. Really underwhelming stuff, really. And that kind of eats into what we saw at the back end of last season, too, where Aston Villa ended the season with two wins from 11. At Villa Park this calendar year, they've won twice in 10. Um, and I think for large, large parts of uh, Gerard's tenure, particularly since the January editions, it's not looked like he's known his best system or his best 11 or where to fit his most creative or game changing players into the team. You know, when Dia was, came off the bench at half time, last week he doesn't seem to be getting a, a run in the side at all and i guess to make matters worse the issue of tyrone mings just created unnecessary headlines really for Gerard. last week i saw there was money for him in the sack race after that new story broke as well so this is a big test for him this season because um he's lost his influential assistant in Mick who uh, if you hear anyone who talks about gerard will always sort of eulogize about how good Beale was in terms of the the pre-game training and also tactical setup so Yeah, it's a big test for him. And then you've got an Everton team who were probably more competitive against Chelsea than most people expected. Lampard, understandably frustrated to lose to to a silly penalty, really. But uh, I thought they did all right, considering they had no strikers basically available. And Anthony Gordon, Damari Gray and Dwight McNeil basically starting up front. This week, they get uh, Rondon back from suspension. Seamus Coleman's due back. I know they've lost Godfrey and Yuri Mina, but Cody and Amadou and Inanna come into the squad after signing. So um, we could get a different looking Everton eleven this time around. Um, but again, we talk about United. You do have to question the Brains Trust to go to some parks to allow someone like Ellis Sims to go out on loan when you've literally got no other strikers available for the first weekend. It's very, very bizarre. But yeah, anyway, Everton have got issues in both boxes. We know they're absolutely appalling away from home, or at least were last season. Won the ju- joint fewest points away, won just twice on their travels, lost 13 times. So yeah, i basically got no confidence in either team. But um, Stinch will tell you otherwise. But I can't be backing Villa at odds on quotes uh, in this particular st- in this particular matchup. So instead, I thought the the option to back both teams to score no at one point nine five was quite appealing. Actually, neither scored nor came close to scoring on match day one. Mentioned Villa's systematic and, and personnel concerns, their own dodgy form this calendar year. Everton's away record, Everton's injuries, Everton's issues up front chuck in the 12.30 kickoff time, plus the fact that the weather's supposed to be 31 degrees from the first whistle in Birmingham on Saturday and only rising. You know, hot temperatures normally sort of you look to try and oppose goals in those conditions. There'll be water breaks plus the five subs in the second half to break up flow as well. So yeah, I'm quite happy to sort of oppose goals between two teams I've not got a huge amount of confidence in and that that might be knee jerk after match day
0: one, but I think Villa's issues do kind of transcend a bit further than that too the notorious tropical paradise that is Birmingham. Um, Stinch, Solomon Rondon's back. Surely Everton are saved.
2: I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's too outlandish to suggest that he isn't going to score many goals with just one in 20 last season, which was a consolation at Palace. Um, I'm surprised he's only 32. I had him down in, it must be about 38 or 39, but he's still only 32, which I think, I don't know, it maybe says that he It could get even worse. Um, he's,
0: he's an okay player, isn't he? He's scored some goals at various yeah, stages, doing it physical, wrong.
2: Like, works hard. Ten, ten years ago, when he was at Malaga and leading Malaga into the top four of Champions League, yeah, a huge fan. Um, but then I think you can probably see his ambitions. He went off to Russia. He's since been out to China. Um, you know, he's just dwindling down his career, to be honest. Um, He's not somebody that should be relied on. I'm really disappointed that some of these players Everton's have loaned out because I really like the likes of uh, Broadhead that was on loan at Sunderland last season. Um, Did a fantastic job helping them get into the playoffs and he wasn't available for the for all of the the playoff matches, but yeah, he did his job in getting them into the the playoffs and ultimately getting Sunderland um, out of that division, which they've been trying to for ages. Uh, Ellis Sims has started really well uh, for Sunderland. Um, uh, he scored a couple of goals away at Bristol City the other week. I would even have uh, Cenk Tosin ahead of uh, Rondon, but he's been allowed to leave the club as well. And they spent a fortune on him. You know, you talk about the transfer activity at Man United. I think the transfer activity at Everton for a similar period of time has been absolutely shocking as well. Um, And they're obviously, you know, that's their only attacking option in terms of a striker without Calvert Lewin. And then you look a bit further back, you no know, Townsend, uh, Andre Gomez, Davis, uh, Godfrey and Mina both got injured last weekend. Already mentioned they got rid of Richarlison, uh, Dobbin as well as another attacking option has gone on to Derby. Um, so I've no idea who's going to score their goals. Um, and yet they're spending fortunes on defensive players when they have their hands tied by FFP. So it just seems an, an utterly bizarre approach to me. Um, they signed Dwight McNeil, you know, for the best part of 20 million. I think he's only got one goal in <clears throat> one goal last season, or might not have even scored at all. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm happy to oppose him. Basically, I opposed him last week against uh, against Chelsea, even though we had reservations about Chelsea. As they're kind of going for a transition, but I'm just happy to continue to oppose Everton, oppose Lampard, and oppose them away from home. That whole mixture together, I think, is the perfect perfect pot for for opposing the team. I mean, they've failed to win 16 of the last 17 away matches. So, what are we back in here, the draw or, or Villa? I don't think you really go into into matches looking to to back the draw unless there's some context in terms of qualifying out of a group or in a cup competition yeah. or something like that. Um, and since Lampard took over, it's seven defeats in nine away. They've conceded the most goals in the league in that period away from home with 23. Um, Villa are obviously massively underachieving under Gerrard, considering the, the money they've spent. But I, I think if you're, betting, if you're back in Villa around about 1.9, I think you're essentially kind of just betting on can Villa score, as I just simply don't know where the Everton goals are, are going to come from. Opening day v. Chelsea, they created just one chance greater than 0. 0.1 expected goals. So, not only is their chance creation, uh, so not only is there, they don't have anybody to score the goals, but their chance creation isn't happening either. Um, Villa were 2-5 to five at home to Norwich and 4-6 to six at home to Watford last season. With Everton without any strikers, are Everton much better than those to suggest that Villa should be nearly even money. Villa won this fixture 3-0 last season, so I think Villa don't even have to click, they just have to have one of Watkins' Leon Bailey, Danny Ings, Philip Coutinho, Emi Buendia, you know, they're all £25 million plus players and they're all available to Gerard. Just needs one of them to to score. And I think I think betting at this price long-term is a positive bet. Jake, is that the way you would
3: go? Yeah, I th- I th- if I was swaying in that market, I would be looking more towards Villa than Everton, yeah. Uh, but I'm with Mark, I- I'm opposing goals in this. Um, purely from what I've said over the last couple of weeks um, about Aston Villa in the sense that the defensively last season, no problem with them at all. They were really good. They improved under Gerrard and that's why they pulled themselves away from relegation trouble. But their attack was extremely underwhelming. Um, the average was 1.23 expected goals for per game, which ranked as the sixth worst attacking process in the league since Gerrard took over. Um, and that's hugely surprising given the talent that we, the talent that they've got in, in attack. Stinch has just reeled off five names there they you know they would probably walk into most bottom half teams probably some top half teams in the premier league um so that that's hugely concerning as is the performance at bournemouth where they managed as mark said less than 0.7 expected goals never really looked like scoring um and then you've got everton exactly the same never looked like scoring against chelsea i know it's chelsea compared to bournemouth um, a big step up in terms of opponent but at home, where they did most of the damage last season to stay up, they were really toothless and, and deserved to lose. I know it was, a, you know, the penalties. It was a penalty, wasn't? It? I thought it was a penalty. Um, but they, they allowed um, 1.3 non-penalty expected goals anyway, excluding the penalty. Um, so they were, they conceded more than enough to deserve to lose the game. Um, and then you factor in that they themselves really struggled from, in attack under Lampard. 1.09 expected goals for per game ranking a third worst in the league after he took over. So, it's massive concerns about both attacking units. And uh, I think that the clincher for me uh, in taking the, the bet, which is under two and a half goals at 1.86, is not only the issues in forward areas from a personnel standpoint, of Everton, but also their defence-first approach, which they seem to be sticking with. Um, that seems to be Lampard's thought process, that the best way that they're going to get points this season is by playing um, deep and, and trying to suffocate teams and counter attack. Um, and I think ultimately that will lead to quite a lot of low scoring Everton matches. So more than happy to get on side with the unders um, at a 1.86.
0: Now it's worth bearing in mind you can get a £5 free bet by staking a £5 bet builder on Villa against Everton. Season C is in the description. 18 plus. See org. So from what the guys are saying, maybe a Villa win, under three and a half goals, maybe Ollie Watkins to have a shot on target. You chuck all those in and you get a decent price. To the South Coast then, and Southampton stuffed 4-1 by Tottenham. A defeat that included one of the worst own goals I've seen in a long time from Sally Sue. Uh, They hope to bounce back against the Leeds United side that came from behind to beat Wolves. Jake, in theory, two pressing machines up against each other here.
3: Yeah, yeah, it has the, um, the... Possibility of being a really interesting game from a tactical standpoint, but I, I just think the price is just a little bit too short about Southampton. I, I don't see why they warrant to be um, as short as they are currently. Um, on the exchange, you're looking at around 2.3, 2.34 um, for a home win, and that just seems way too short for me. Um, as you said, defensively, they were really, really poor against Spurs. Obviously, the, the own goal uh, it takes the highlight reel, but um, you know, 2.02 expected goals against OK, you might think, well, that's that's Tottenham. Tottenham have got unbelievable attacking quality. Spurs were route. good, though, weren't
0: they? Yeah, yeah. Was they will do that to unplayable. many teams.
3: Um, but I've done some digging, and, and across the last 18 league games of last season, Southampton allowed 2.03 expected goals against per game. So the 2. wow. 2.02 that they allowed on the opening day just fell in line with the average over the, last eight, over the previous 18. So um, you're looking at a team that ship chances for fun that are really easy to play against. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got Leeds, who I, I do feel have been slightly underestimated and underrated. Um, They survived by the skin of the teeth last season, no doubt, but digging further into the data, you can see that under Jesse Marsh, after he took over, they ranked as the 10th best team in the league based on expected points. Um, And they obviously got off to a winning start against Wolves, which will have the confidence high. You you saw good performances from the the new signings. Adams in midfield was great. Uh, Aronson as well, getting the headlines with obviously the the goal that may or may not be his. Probably not. Um, But... Again, looking at the at the away form that Leeds um, played managed under under Marsh, played six, won three, drew one, and lost two. So pretty decent record um on the road. And and what was I think is more important and more impressive is that they actually they actually generated a positive XG process in those six matches as well, averaging one point five expected goals for and one point three again. So all of that to me suggests that Le- Southampton are a bit too short. So it's just how do you get leads on side, um, and I'm taking leads plus a quarter on the Asian handicap, which is around one point nine seven, so nearly even money, just stood out to me as a, as a really cracking bet. So that means that if the game ends in a draw, so if leads avoid defeat, we get half a win, um, and and if leads actually go there and win the game, we get a full win. And I just think that that's a little bit too big a price.
0: Stinch, Marcelo Bielsa, something something. Yes, but he's American, something something. Everybody kind of assumed Jesse Marsh would be rubbish. But he's actually done fairly well, and he's got some of his red Bull kids there now, tyler adams aaronson like like Jake mentions, who are more attuned to the kind of football he's going to want to play
2: um I'm not going to read too much into Jesse Marsh so far because I think uh, you're right we' we should maybe give him a blank slate now um they've lost phillips and rafinha which is two massive holes to fill and let's maybe see how he fills those holes um i know they're, i know he kept them up but there was some um issues regarding them d- defensively still from set pieces um and as you say they were probably quite. Uh, lucky maybe to, to pick up the three points uh, last weekend. I think maybe draw was probably a fair result. So I probably want to see him over the first maybe five or six games to form a, form a full opinion. But I think already he has an advantage over Bielsa is the fact that he's got a fit Patrick Bamford. Um, and Bamford lasted 86 minutes last week, which I think is very positive. I think if you saw him going off after maybe an hour or something, you think, oh, God, here we go again, or it's going to take him a while to get back into things. But I think 86 minutes is, is normal, really. So that I think yeah. that's a fantastic sign, really. So I think it's probably a little bit unfair if we start comparing uh, Jesse Marsh with Bielsa last season. And it's probably fairer to compare him with Bielsa's first season um, going forward. Um, however, in this game... um I just thought with neither team is can defend really. I just thought, is there an angle of trying to find a, a bet, a goals based bet basically? Um, over two and a half goals is no surprise. It's uh, four to six, which is the uh, joint shortest across the matches on Saturday. But I just thought if you combine that with both teams to score, you get five to six. And I just thought I don't see either team if winning to nil, essentially, I don't see either team keeping a clean sheet. Um, Southampton have had over two and a half goals in 19 of the last 28 matches, which is nearly 70 percent. They've conceded at least two goals in 11 of the last 13 as well. Uh, Leeds have seen um 10 games of their last 12 away from home register over two and a half goals which is the majority of uh jesse Marsh's reign and they conceded 30 in that period which you know is nearly three a match um so i think with neither side able to defend and leeds attacking output should improve with bamford back um yeah i just think uh, i think there should be goals
0: Time to briefly break away from the Premier League now for one of our new features for this season. It's Mark My Words, where Mark O'Hare comes up with a European nap for us. Mark, what have you got for us this week?
1: Um, well, Scotland is in Europe, obviously, so uh, Yes, counts. it's in Europe, that's fine. <laughs> it's allowed. Um, yeah, I'm taking <laughs> you to the glamours of Scottish League 2 uh, this weekend. Yes. Week this is a league where Kelty Hearts and Cove Rangers have both won the title in the last two years after winning promotion from the lower leagues in Scotland. Um, you don't require a huge amount of budget uh, to sort of go well in those lower leagues and, and they, both of those clubs were, were pretty well backed. Now, Bonnie Rig Rose won promotion from the lower Lowland League uh, last year. They're not as well backed as the, the previous two, but they, they've still got enough about them really to, to make an impact. And that was seen by the fact they were installed as, as pre-season favourites to win the league. Uh, they went pretty well in the League Cup, which is uh, sort of basically a, a pre-season opportunity for teams in the lower leagues. Uh, and they've since started the campaign in League Two with two wins from two, so already top of the tree. Um, but markets in Scotland do tend to take a little bit of time to adjust to new seasons, particularly with new teams coming into the league. They're not really sure how to rate them. So it does take them a couple of weeks to sort of get the prices about right. So that gives, gives us a few opportunities, really. Um, and that was seen basically on match day one. Uh, the outright favourites went off as underdogs in they're opening out against Forfar. They won that game 2-0, won the shot count 12-4. Quite convincing. Last weekend, they went to East Fife and managed a 3-0 win. Uh, across those two matches, they've collectively conceded just two shots on target. Um, now, the markets have slightly adjusted, but there's still definitely some room for manoeuvre to get Bonnie on side again this weekend at what I think is pretty kind prices. So you can bat them in the draw no bet market at around 1.9, um, which is really appealing uh, for their away day at Strand Ra. This is a Strand Ra team that uh, opened their season with a 1 0 win at home to Annan, which is quite an impressive result. But last weekend they were beaten by four far, uh 2 0, conceded seven shots on target and nine corners. And of course, that fourth of team were well beaten by Bonnie on match day one as well. So that's a bit of a comparison for you. So last season, strand lost eight times on, at home. They were sort of expected to finish around mid-table, according to pre-season expectations. They lost all five of their league cup contests and conceded 18 goals, um, which is quite concerning, really. So, yeah, I think there's a, a bit of a difference between these two teams. Wouldn't be too surprised to see the market move in Bonnie's favour before Saturday. Uh, but this might be the last opportunity we get to support them
0: at generous prices and lines. So Bonnie Rig Rose, draw no bet away at Strangra. Football only better, where you come for the bashing of Manchester United, but you stay for the deep analysis of Scottish League 2. Arsenal made a pretty good start to the season as they won the Ashley Cole Classic at Crystal Palace by two goals to nil. Jake, it's only one game, but Gabriel Jesus was a ball of energy. He looked great. Gunners looked good in general. Had a bit of a wobble early in the second half, maybe. But they've got Leicester this weekend, and you've got to think that Arsenal who are generally very good at home under Arteta, are looking good.
3: Absolutely, yeah. uh, He said they had a little wobble. It was nice to see them resist that pressure because usually they cave in, don't they, Arsenal, when they get under, particularly away from home, at a tricky away ground. So, yeah, a lot of positives to take from that. Um, Obviously, the the first half performance was excellent um, and obviously the mental strength to sort of withstand that what Crystal Palace were throwing at them because at the end of the game they had basically four attackers on the pitch it was like a four-two-four 2 4 formation yeah. Um, so they, yeah it's credit where credit's due there Arsenal did very well um, and they'll be absolutely licking the lips at the thought of uh, of hosting Leicester at the Emirates because as you mentioned at home they've been really really good under Arteta particularly last season where the ranks as the third best team uh, based on every single major metric um, expected goals for, expected goals against, expected goal difference and expected points, with only Liverpool and Manchester City outranking them um, on those metrics. <coughs> so, yeah, it, it's it's a happy place, is the Emirates. Um, they've got a lot of confidence there. Um, and they're playing a Leicester team who rightly blew a 2-0 lead at the weekend. They were very fortunate to be 2-0 up. They scored two low-probability ch- uh, chances. Um, they scored twice from just 0.58 expected goals. Uh, but Brentford actually outcreated them. I know there's, there's some game state in there with Leicester obviously being 2-0 up and the impetus being on Brentford to attack. Uh, but they created 0.97 expected goals. And and that's now 11 of the last 15 Premier League games that Leicester have lost the XG battle, which is majorly concerning. And it suggests that there's a there's a major issue there. Maybe you want to keep an eye on um, Brendan Rodgers in the sack race, depending on what the prices are. Obviously, no incomings, quite a lot of outcomings, uh, outgoings. Um, and the underlying process is showing no sign of sort of Taking a steep incline to, to where it was two, three seasons ago. Um, and Away last season, Leicester allowed two, two expected goals against per game um, on their travels. Uh, ex- overall process allowing nearly 0.9 expected goals more than their opponents on a per uh, to the to their opponents on a per game basis. So they were very, very much second fiddle. Uh, and second best in every away match pretty much. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm absolutely about to ride the Arsenal train, which is something I don't do very often. Um, but yeah, minus one, Arsenal minus one on the Asian handicap, which you can get around 1.85 um, on the bet for exchange. Basically, if Arsenal win by a goal, <coughs> we get our money back. If they win by two, three, four, we get a full winner. Um, and I think Arsenal could win this quite comfortably. Uh, they won 13 of 19 at home last season. Uh, this bet would have won in eight of 13, eight of those 13 wins. So they covered that line in eight of 13 with us getting a push in five, only losing in six of the matches at home, including three, uh, uh of games against Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City. So the top three. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very confident that Arsenal will be able to, to beat Leicester. Uh, and I think the giveaway, the way that Leicester have defended and given the, um, the sort of, Another the yearly maturation of the young players at Arsenal, the likes of Smith-Rowe and Sacco getting another year under the belts, plus the incomings of the likes of Jesus Zinchenko should only help them improve and um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite confident Arsenal win quite comfortably at the weekend
0: Erling Haaland made the start we all thought he might as he scored twice in Manchester City's 2-0 win at West Ham, City have got Bournemouth next, Mark this looks like a hefty mismatch even though Bournemouth won on the opening weekend
1: yeah, I, I think City um, answered many questions last weekend with that performance against West Ham, and particularly Holland as well. How he's going to fit in, and it was it's quite ominous, really. Uh, I think the He's terrifying,
0: compliment. isn't he? <laughs> it's, he? Honestly, so quick, so massive, really good finisher. He's got that aura, that kind of intensity. He's going to be frightening all year.
1: Yeah, the presence and the confidence and the uh, yeah, he's. <laughs> he's just he's superb and uh, just really enjoyed watching him he was one of the bright lights in what i found quite a, a boring and depressing game actually particularly in the second half it was pretty pretty dull actually just because city had such a stranglehold on the game do you
0: know what it's funny you say that one of the things i noticed on social media all the way through the game was how many people were saying that and this has kind of been a theme and it's not city's fault it's it's nothing to do with them they've got they do their thing and they win but i do wonder in the fullness of time when we look back on this era we'll all kind of go, oh, they were great, but they were a bit dull. It's kind of the Pep Guardiola thing at Bayern as well. Everybody looks at that and thinks they played incredible football. They were amazing. But because they were so far ahead of the rest of the league, and I know they haven't been with Liverpool, but in in individual games, it kind of does get a bit crushingly dull, doesn't it?
1: It does. Uh, I think it probably uh was emphasized just because the opposition was West Ham at the London Stadium, West Ham are supposed to be the seventh best team in the league. And apart from that early flurry, they just barely barely had a punch at at City really. And it was that's why it was quite quite depressing from my perspective. But uh, you know, people are already sort of crowning them champions, but there's still talk and strong links of Bernardo Silva going to Barcelona. And I think there's got to be fair questions about squad depth if he does go. uh, particularly that this is a not an ordinary season either, so it's far from over. It's just one game and the gap's only two points, so much football to play. But this does feel like a bit of an open goal now for City against Bournemouth, who did upset the odds against Villa, took advantage of a sluggish and underwhelming Villa. But a huge, huge step up in class, goes without saying, really. So there's various ways you can try and play this and get money out of City. First half markets, City to cover a big spread. Um, I looked at Man City to win both halves, which I think is a very reasonable option. Bournemouth are 45 to 1 to win here uh, and both teams (laughs) to score no is is around 1.41. So it's expected to be a very handsome one-sided victory. Um, So I looked at various different markets and numbers. Last season, City scored in both halves and 12 of 19 at home. They won both halves in 9 of 19. Uh, Went further, went over the last five seasons. City have won the title four times. Their results against bottom six finishers 27 wins, three draws, zero defeats, 77% of wins by two or more goals, 57% by three or more, averaging three and a half goals per game. Uh, and they've actually won both halves in 25 of those 30 games. So that's a very reasonable option to take at, at four to five, I think, Man City to win both halves. Um, but I did have a quick fiddle around on the bet builder if you want something a bit more uh, close uh, or, or probably easier over the line. So Man City to lead at half-time, Man City minus one in the full match, so City to win by two, goal, two or more goals and Man City to lead at half-time, plus Erling Haaland to score, that comes in at 1.8, which I think is a, a fair alternative to, if you prefer. Uh, you can even swap Haaland out and say both, both teams to score no and it boosts us up to 1.95, which is uh, really quite attractive actually, which is, you're not, you're not asking for a huge amount, both teams to score no, City to win by two or more and City to lead at half-time. As I say, Bournemouth for forty-five to one, so uh, <laughs> be a huge, huge shock if they
2: avoid defeat.
0: To the EFL then, and Stinch, you've got a tip for us.
2: Yeah, I'm heading to League One for Plymouth v Peterborough, and I'm quite surprised really that uh, Plymouth are uh, decent favourites around eleven to eight, and Peterborough nearly two to one. Um, I think arguably Peterborough should be favourites. I, th- I think they'll. If, as long as their defense probably does mediocre, I think they'll probably finish top. I was going to say top six. I think they'll probably finish top three. Um, they're back in league one again um, after relegation last season, but they must be along with maybe Fulham or somebody, but I think Peterborough probably outrank them. They must be one of the biggest yo-yo teams of century in terms of championship league one just seems to be flip-flopping every season. Um, but it's no surprise at all to me that they, they've kicked off proceedings with two wins. No surprise they've scored uh, over two goals. they scored three in each game. Um, and it means they're the only team with a 100% record after just two games in League One. And I think we, we talk about that League One, especially the top half, is arguably more competitive than and better than the bottom half of the championship, um, so I'm quite surprised that there isn't anybody else with a 100% record after two games, um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, small sample size out of 46 matches, but the key thing for Peterborough is they've kept hold of Johnson Clark-Harris for now, uh, he scored 31 goals in League One two seasons ago, um, they've got Jack Marriott who scored 27 goals last time he was in League One with Posh, so the they, they, no surprise really, as I say, that they've scored six goals in the two games. They're both off the mark already. Um, and again, it's no surprise they've averaged, uh, 18 shots across these two matches as well. So they've got two fantastic strikers and they're very attacking and they're getting off plenty of shots. Um, so, yeah, i surprised that they're outsiders away at Plymouth. I actually spoke about Plymouth towards the back end of last season when they were third and with a chance of automatic promotion. But I mentioned that they were the biggest overachievers in the division on expected points, which was being driven by the fact that they were the biggest overachievers defensively. So it kind of wasn't surprised really, that they dropped off a cliff, essentially, and they didn't win any of their final five games and went from... Potentially finishing the top two to not even finishing in in the playoffs. Um, they scored just once in those final five games, and they're humiliated really on the final day at home to MK Dons, losing five nil. And one of the reasons for their sort of overachievement defensively is because they possess one of the best keepers in the division in Michael Cooper. Um, he finished seventh in, with the best in terms of uh, the best save percentage at seventy four percent. Um, but it's well above his average of 70 percent so I think there is still that that uh regression back to the mean essentially and yeah I think you could you could maybe be a bit cleverer than the bet I'm going to go for maybe back Peterborough draw better no bet at, at evens um but I'm actually going to go for something that I think punters can back every single week which is Peterborough over 1.5 goals at 11 to 8 I think that's that's very big over two and a half goals is is the favorite in this game, eight to 11. And it's like, well, if you, if you want to back overs, which is no surprise in Peterborough games, you know, who is it more likely is going to contribute to the score? Is it Plymouth or Peterborough? And I I feel it's Peterborough. So I think you're much better off taking over 1.5 Peterborough goals uh, at, at, at a very chunky eleven to eight, rather than the the overs in in the game, and uh, I think uh, against other teams you can take it a bit further and back the higher lines. You know, over two point five, over three point five. Um, I think they're going to be a lot of fun with Peterborough back in League One this season.
0: And Mark, you've got a football league tip for us as well.
2: Yeah, drop down to
1: League Two, um, Carlisle against Swindon. Carlisle have been excellent really since Paul Simpson returned as manager. Um, obviously, won back-to-back promotions in his first stint. Came back at the back end of last year with Carlisle in the bottom two in League Two, um, and he had a, a fantastic record. They finished 15 points clear of the drop zone, um, and only five teams earned more points than Carlisle during his stint. And Carlisle started this season very strongly too. Um, absolutely took Crawley to the cleaners in the first game. The game, the scoreline was only 1 0, but they had 23 shots and almost two and a half expected goals registered. Um, very impressive. And then returned last week with a 1 1 draw at Colchester, won the shot count, kind of spurned a few good opportunities too. But they got a solid defence, signed Huntingdon this week as well, which will, would add to them too. Uh, and a very good home record too six wins from eight at home under Simpson in his second spell. The hosting of Swindon team who just to me seemed to be priced up on on last season really Um, and they've lost their head coach Ben Garner to Charlton during the summer. He took three of their key players with him. Scott Lindsay, his assistant, is now in charge and things haven't been running smoothly so far this season. They were beaten 3-0 away at Harrogate on match day one, gave away 11 shots in the box. Last week was a bit better. They held Salford at home 0-0. had Harry McCurdy, their star striker, sent off before half-time but very much a backs-against-the-ball job. But across the two games, they... Barely threatened really in the final third. They missed a penalty against Harrogate, but that's literally it. They've done nothing and the McCurdy is back from suspension and the caveat is that Swindon were the best team away from home last season by a distance and that's why they've priced up as favourites to win at Carlisle but this is a different team, a different coach, different setting. Uh, it's a long, long way to, from Swindon to Carlisle as well which also has to be bearing bear in mind too uh, and I just think one team is going upwards and Swindon are possibly standing still if not moving backwards and therefore Swindon should not be favourites in this match. You can buy car- back Carlisle plus a quarter at 1.8 or back them drawn over. Bet odds against. Take your pick. I'm, I'm on plus supporter. I think it's a, a nice price. You get paid out a half stakes win if the game ends all square.
0: Now, the bet five, get five offer extends outside the Premier League. You can get a £5 free bet if you stake a £5 bet builder on Watford against Burnley this weekend. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.com org i told you last weekend i thought christopher and kunku was a great bet to score for leipzig at stuttgart at nine to five he duly delivered for us this weekend i'm absolutely amazed you can get odds of 1.9 for bayer leberkusen to win by two goals or more against augsburg augsburg awful last weekend they were beaten four 0 at home by freiburg they've got a rookie coach in enrico marsen they've lost I think a couple of key players. They lost 5-1 at Bayer as recently as January. Alternatively, if you don't want to try and get Bayer to cover that handicap, you could back them to win and Patrick Schick to score at 1.8 on the bet builder. If you throw in a first-half goal, you could get that up to 2.07 now it's time for the world famous podcast treble, a betting feature so revered that hansworth's finest Apache Indian originally wrote Boom Shakalak as boom Aka Ak, and he was originally called Napache Indian before he was convinced that it didn't quite have the same appeal now, how this works is the three guys each put forward a selection from the weekend's action, and our delightful traders wrap them up in a boosted treble jake i'm going to start with you
3: i'll take arsenal to beat leicester for all the reasons mentioned before
0: lovely mark that that was that was devoid of psychodrama there that was that was very clear <laughs> yeah. I disappoint you there, jake yeah. there yeah i'm a little uh mark
1: uh, i'm going to pass over the stinch. i'm happy to go last this week I think oh okay a, a tricky slate in fairness
2: I will go for Villa at four to five. Everton are abysmal and have no strikers. If you're happy to accept Villa are average, which they are, but they possess above average players. They were two to five at home to Norwich and four to six at home to Watford. Without any, without any decent attackers for Everton, I think Villa should be much closer to those prices.
0: So there we go, Mark. There's no running now. It's back with you.
1: Uh, Man City to win. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> uh, probably Southampton versus Leeds. I'll, I'll take both teams to score in that game. Uh, it's got the makings of quite an exciting game for a neutral with the two styles on show from both coaches. So um, yeah, both teams to score at St Mary's.
0: I like how the podcast troubles become a kind of game show within the show where you've got people passing on selections and all kinds. Uh, That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. We've got loads of coverage of the Premier League and indeed the other top five European leagues on betting.betfair.com. From Jake, from Stinch, from Mark and from me, it's goodbye for